0: I know what it is like to take prescription medication for seven years and never really feel anything less than wanting to just not kill yourself. Mm -hmm. And then I get off the meds. I do all the work. I have a life coach. I do all the things. I get the success that I thought was going to make my life okay. And I wound up just as miserable. Mm. And then I did LSD. (laughs) Hey friends.
1: Welcome back to another episode of The Perfect Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren, and I have no idea what I'm doing, but no one really does, so let's talk about it. I am a published author, blogger, and podcast host, and my content explores the intersection of mental health and social media use. And who better to ask about that than the people who need to be online? Every Friday, I speak to influential content creators like authors, entrepreneurs, influencers, bloggers, actresses, coaches, podcasters, And I ask them how they manage a healthy relationship with social media. How do they balance showing up here and doing their work while maintaining a healthy mental state? The Perfect Podcast is a filter-free zone, so we get into all of it. We find out all about the parts of our guests' lives that don't make it online. And by the end of it, it feels like you just made a new best friend. We have so much to learn from each other, and my goal for this show is to prove to you that you are not alone. Here's what happens when people stop using filters and start getting real. Let's do it. Welcome back to The Perfect Podcast. Today, I get to share with you our very first guest of season five, Olivia Alexander. Olivia might be our very first perfect podcast guest to have an actual Wikipedia page. (laughs) So here's the story. I discovered Olivia on TikTok, my few page algorithm was getting the hint that I was actively seeking out more information on microdosing and started serving me her content, and I loved all of her videos. They were super informative, especially in a space like microdosing and psychedelics where it's really difficult to find quality information. So I decided to reach out to her with some of my questions, and she was so kind and so generous. And then I figured instead of sending her my million questions. Why not record myself asking her these questions so everyone can hear the answers? Because I know I'm not the only person with these questions. So I invited her on the show. And as I said, she's super kind and super generous and happily agreed to join us on the show. Fast forward to me prepping for her episode and I discovered she's an absolute fucking boss. I had no idea. I try not to dig too much into guests' lives and content before interviewing them so it comes off as a more authentic interaction, but I do like to gather some context so I know what to talk about. And it turns out Olivia does quite a lot more than make dope TikTok videos. Quite a lot more. So Olivia is the founder of a company named Kush Queen. In less than three years, she's grown Kush Queen into a multi-million dollar, multifaceted brand carrying CBD only and THC infused products. So, you guys already know that's my jam. She was one of the largest digital influencers in cannabis with over 2.5 million followers and an average of 100 million monthly impressions. Olivia's belief in and passion for cannabis shapes her determination to normalize the lifestyle and medical usage for everyone. And as a voice for progressive change and female industry inclusion, Olivia was recognized as Dope Magazine's 2017 Social Media Influencer of the Year and was called the Mariah Carey of Weed by Elle. So, I mean, okay, I'll let Olivia tell more about her story, but holy cow, is she a fucking queen. Today's episode is a bit longer than others because Olivia had so much to share with us and made sure to record every single bit of it for you guys. We get into her childhood, her mental health journey, the many different sides of the cannabis industry, legalization, activism, psychedelics. Okay, so speaking of psychedelics, that was the original reason I brought her on to speak to us. Like I said, I discovered Olivia when I became interested in microdosing. So what is microdosing? Microdosing psychedelics is the practice of consuming very low sub hallucinogenic doses of a psychedelic substance like LSD or psilocybin, which is what you find in mushrooms. There's an entire revolution going on with psychedelics right now, especially in the mental health space, and Olivia has way more to talk about it than I do, but I became curious about it when I started learning how effective it has been for relieving depression. So my backstory is I've never taken a full dose of any psychedelic. I've never tripped, never had a journey. The D.A.R.E. program did what it was designed to do and scared me away from experimenting. I always felt chemically imbalanced enough as it is, and I believed taking something might send me over the edge and I might never come back. I was always scared of having a really bad trip, a full trip. So if any of my friends from high school are listening right now, they're probably laughing because so many of them wanted me to try with them because they knew I would like it. And I would always say this to them. I'd always say, I don't want to have a bad trip. I'm afraid I'll, you know, I'll go insane or something. So they're probably laughing if they're listening. But when I started learning about microdosing, it was really hard to find more information about it because the research isn't really widely funded. And we'll get into why that is with Olivia, but it's some bullshit. Anyways, I sc- gathered up as much research and evidence as I could before trying it. And I figured out a way to get it, which is also difficult. And then I, Gave it a shot, tried it out. And it's been a month and a half so far. And I can confidently say I noticed significant changes in my mental health, like across the board. So, for context, a microdose is 0.1 gram of psilocybin, which is the chemical in magic mushrooms. And that's what I decided to microdose with. You can microdose with any psychedelic, you can microdose with ayahuasca or, or LSD or, or other things. But I had learned a lot about how psilocybin specifically was effective for depression so that's what I wanted to try. So a microdose is 0.1 gram, where a full dose, which is like what you would trip with, is three grams, right? A lot more. So when you're taking a microdose, you don't experience any psychedelic effects. You don't have any visuals. You don't trip. It's nothing like that. I don't even feel any real psychoactive effects myself. Like I don't get lightheaded or, or dizzy or anything like that. I just feel fine, which is an improvement. So Let me explain the protocol that I'm following is five days on two days off. And you'll hear Olivia explain like what protocols are and why they're important in our episode. But I do five days on two days off. So I take one every morning on weekdays. And then I pause on the weekends after 60 days, you're supposed to take a couple weeks off, which I plan on doing at the end of the month. The changes I've noticed are significant. The first week I started with it, the biggest thing I noticed was I was smiling, (laughs) Like, just smiling. It was just, I would be doing nothing, and all of a sudden, I would notice I had a smile on my face, and it felt different. It was so noticeable. I wasn't like forcing a smile on my face, and I didn't have my usual, like, sad, like, resting bitch face. My face and my cheeks just felt warm and tingly, and I was just genuinely happy, which was new. That's a new feeling for me. More of the longer term effects I'm feeling is, okay. I'm trying to figure out a good way to explain it. So, okay. Glasses. I wear glasses. Maybe you wear glasses or sunglasses. If you like are wearing glasses and get out of the car, they get fogged up. Right. Especially if we're like wearing a mask, right. Our glasses get fogged up. We can't see anything and it's really hard to see. So you take your glasses off and start cleaning them. You wipe them with your your shirt and you put them back on. And they're suddenly like super clear and super clean. And everything is just, so much brighter and clearer all of a sudden. And you're like, oh, that's what everything looks like. It feels like that, but for my brain, right? So everything is just easier and cleaner. And it seems like all the like construction that was going on in my brain has been finished and all the roads are connected. And like, it's just flowing more. I feel like there's actually serotonin being produced, which I I can actually feel the difference. I feel it being produced. So Olivia and I talk more, a ton more about everything that's going on in the world of psychedelics and the very important nuances with it all. And she shares her personal experience with it, which is super interesting and how she got involved with it. She just shares so much valuable information and insight. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear from her. She's a powerhouse and I still can't believe I got to meet her and share this conversation with you. So let's, let's hear from the queen herself. Enough from me. If you'd like to connect with Olivia, you can find all of her links below. Again, she is just such a giver. She's always sharing so much important information and like real authentic shit. Like she doesn't bullshit anything. She's always serving up real content. So I definitely recommend you follow her. Not just in like the psychedelic like cannabis space, but just across the board. She's just a real down chick. And I really think you're going to like her. You'll also find everything you need to know about my upcoming book, BRB, a memoir about coming of age in the digital age. All of that is down in the show notes. You know, I wasn't going to let you go without plugging it one more time. If you guys follow me, it's all I'm talking about. (laughs) You always know I'm an indie author. I self-published. It's up to me, man. So I have to talk about it as much as I can. If you pre-order the book before May 25th, which is the pub date, you'll get access to the entire audiobook, which is narrated by me. Just send a copy of the receipt to brbpreorder at gmail.com and you'll get a response with the audiobook. You can listen to the whole thing while you wait for your physical copy to arrive. And if you want a personalized signed copy from me, you can order from Books and Books, which is the Miami local bookstore that is my local bookstore and request it in the order notes. All the information for how to do all of that is down below linked in my website, laurenelman.com. Check it out, get the book, talk about it on social media, help me out. I really appreciate it. So that's it. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say about the book. (laughs) Um, I'm so grateful to have you here. I'm so glad I get to share this conversation with you. Thank you again for supporting the podcast, leaving reviews, sharing it with friends, subscribing, all of it. It helps so much. So thanks for helping me keep this thing going. And now I'd like to introduce you to... Olivia Alexander, you're welcome. Thank you so much <laughs> for joining me. I'm so grateful that you're taking the time.
0: Yeah, of course. Absolutely. How are you? I'm good. It's so nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. Is my sound okay? Is my yeah. everything
1: okay? okay? Everything's okay. You look great. You sound great. And right. I'm excited to get started. Perfect. Um, so I discovered you on TikTok and I my for you page, I'm sure understood that I was like starting to get interested in like plant medicine and learning about things like that. So your content kind of just started coming up for me. And, um, that's kind of how I was introduced to you. And that's why I reached out to you and th- things like that. And I try not to dig too much into guests, like bios and stories. Cause I like learning about them live in the show, but I did some digging and I un- understand you have like this huge business with, uh, your your cannabis industry and your hemp and your bath bombs and you're like one of the biggest names <laughs> in
0: the industry. So yeah, it's that's an really interesting cool. way that now I've wound up on TikTok and in a completely different way. Almost I feel like just as me as like just a person, but I have this like whole other life and. <laughs> very funny because it really did happen in some ways by accident and then my team people like who work in my production are like yeah so uh people are asking me like is this your boss on my 40 (laughs) page and I'm like yeah um that is me um with the LSD but (laughs) it's been it's been a really interesting um like journey for me and it really did start 12 years ago, really, I started working at a dispensary. I really didn't use cannabis. I was a dare kid. I actually knew someone whose brother was murdered buying weed and when I was in third grade. Oh my gosh. And yeah. And so I had a really stigmatized experience. And then, um, I really, it's kind of a bizarre thing to say, like, I didn't really know I was smoking weed when I did it the first time, but it's kind of true. It just kind of happened to me. I was in college. These guys were like, oh, we have to work on a group project. I thought I was going to work on a group project. And the group project evidently was hitting a giant bomb. (laughs) (laughs) And my initial panic was like a thing. And then I had like the greatest night of sleep of my life. Mm. And the one thing that I was fully aware of, even though I didn't quite understand it, was that something was wrong with me and something had been wrong with me pretty much my whole life. And I struggled and I got into therapy right away. Like as, as soon as I was an adult too, I was like, okay, well, we need to do this. My parents are not those kind of parents. Um, they still won't go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and even though they're fucked up. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, it was an interesting thing. My, my boyfriend at the time, his friends were opening up a dispensary and I had probably only smoked weed for like eight months. And I worked at this dispensary and I just, I fell in love with it. And I knew from that moment that it was going to be this thing that was going to change the world. I had no idea it would become a legitimate industry and how it would sort of come back around in my life because at this point it was very dangerous working at a dispensary. They were frequently robbed. And the one that I worked at was my parents were like, you have to stop working there. So I kind of strayed and I had Kush Queen. Cush Queen was the idea from that moment when I was at the dispensary. But I thought I would make like Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, but about weed. Because <laughs> I was an actor. I was an actress. And I grew up in the entertainment industry. I was born in a town of 700 people in Louisiana. And acting and being a performer is what got me out. Mm. But then, um, and then weed was sort of this side hustle. One of my many side hustles. I mean, every job I had... People identified with me as a stoner, and it was like this weird experience where people didn't really peg me for one. But then, the minute I got to know people, I was like, Oh, we have to smoke weed. It was kind of <laughs> like my thing. And then um, in 2013, I did a movie, they bankrupted the movie, and I did all this work for months on location and then came back and had no money. And I moved back in with my parents, and I spent pretty much every single day doing yoga and meditating and manifesting. I made this manifestation board right by my bed. I lived in like the tiniest room in my parents' (laughs) house. And I just said like, whatever is going to come to me for like my next thing. I knew I didn't want to work a normal job. I knew that I couldn't do something normal. My temperament just does not work (laughs) um, that way. And I mean, I've never had a corporate job. I've never really had like a real real corporate anything. Um, I'm like the most corporate company I ever worked for was Hooters. So that can really <laughs> give you my corporate experience. I got, um, and then one day I went to a vape store. I saw the first vape store in Silver Lake and it was called good vapor. And I went in, I bought a vape and I put crystals on it because that's what I did. And that was when I saw cartridges were coming and I would go to this dispensary and I would tell this guy, it was my bud tender, who years later, I would like really be like connected with in the industry. I'm going to have a company and I'm going to make <laughs> for people who aren't stoners and just like so extra, but it's true. Like I did it. Um, it wasn't easy. I used social media, but basically that summer I built the website. I created products within like a week. I, my dad loaned me 700 bucks. -hmm. And I made six thousand the first month, and then everything just sort of spiraled. And then that company really birthed Kush Queen. I the vape for cannabis was called Kush Queen. Um, It was Swarovski crystals, and it was gorgeous. And I would have you know make content in my living room with Louboutins and weed and rolling joints and showing like really you know (laughs) glam nails with weed. This is this is so like there was none of that. And then I started all these Instagram pages about cannabis. And that's when my fiance and I met on Tinder. Mm. He was, he was a grower. He didn't even tell me like, (laughs) people think that I like matched with him and he was like a grower, but he wasn't. It was just like, his profile was funny. And I was like, okay, yeah, I laughed out loud. Mm -hmm. So swipe right. And then he's like, I grow weed. And I'm like, whoa, I'm between. And, um, then he was the one who really brought home clients and really like sort of helped me shoulder what is a really misogynistic like industry and doesn't have a place for women Mm. and really allow people to see me as a creative, as a businesswoman, and get a lot of respect. And then I worked behind the scenes at all these cannabis companies and I saw the crap people were selling. And I was like, I mean, I don't know anything, but I know I can do better than that because at least at the end of the day, I'll be trying and Mm -hmm. not trying for money, but for healing, trying for efficacy, trying for consistency, trying for products that I needed. They didn't exist. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it was a journey, you know, I got deleted by Instagram and that was the big moment where Kush Queen became... This is my thing and it's gotta work. And I started living, breathing, eating it. And then now I have 20 employees and a business. And then I was still like struggling, not because of the same reasons I was struggling when I started my company and made my products, but because of my own success. And I was really unhappy. I mean, I I did a collaboration with a fashion brand called Alice and Olivia, very reputable company. They you know, we went to New York, we were at fashion week and I was a train wreck. I was, you know, and, and the more employees I got, the more pressure and the more money and the more pressure. And it's just not for me. And, um, then I found psychedelics and I, it cracked me open. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm a, I'm a owner of a wellness company. I, I wellness is my life. I use cannabis very intentionally for wellness I don't think I use it like most people um, and then psychedelics were this thing that I thought mentally ill people didn't do I was I had every like piece of the propaganda I had it in my mind. My fiance loves me wants me to feel better he's been telling me for years maybe you should maybe you should try it maybe you should go to the other side maybe you need to see that and I'm like I'll never come back oh my god I have chills that's so crazy that's exactly what I said oh my goodness it's what we all say because that's what they yeah. tell us oh my and then god. one day my friend was here and it was really just like a year ago as everything was starting to shut down and she's like here eat these mushrooms and I'm like really okay sure And then my fiance came home and that I was tripping balls, you know, (laughs) like, Oh my God. But, um, when I tell you, I could feel my brain different from the Uh, moment I did it. And then, um, that's when I started, you know, really like getting into the community, understanding microdosing, understanding, different, all the different things in the world. And then because of my being established in cannabis and then because of my sort of ability to raw dog life, I think, I don't really think it's like intentional. I think it's just like how I was raised, be an open book, share. Um, I couldn't keep a secret if I tried. Mm. And I found TikTok one of my, I mean, everyone was telling me to join TikTok like last year um and i was like i don't have time yeah <laughs> and i got ruined by instagram you know i lost everything i lost my clients i lost my agency i lost my biggest pages oh. and i was really emotional about it for a long time and i'm like i don't really want to do that with social media but then i saw this mental health conversation going on on tiktok everybody's talking about all the things that i know and i don't just I think I know them. I know them. You know, I've been inside of a mental institution. I've, I've, I know what it is like to take prescription medication for seven years and never really feel anything less than wanting to just not kill yourself. Mm-hmm. And then I get off the meds. I do all the work. I have a life coach. I do all the things. I get the success that I thought was going to make my life okay. And I wound up just as miserable. Mm. And then I did LSD. <laughs> Oh my god. And then I'm like, here we are. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, you answered probably the first half. <laughs> Sorry, of I talk so a lot. Perfect. I should have warned you that you've got to, you've got to put a muzzle on me. Well, that's real- the point of the podcast. <laughs> I'm an orator. I really love the give. I love Gabin. Like people are like, oh, you want to talk? I'm like, really? That's my favorite thing. I mean, that's why I invited
1: you. I mean, that's why I do the show. It's for, because you don't get this on social media, you know, like we can get some of it, but the point of the show is to get the whole side, the whole picture. And I have to say, like, I, I've i not done psychedelics. And I I smoked weed through high school and college. And I was like a stoner and things like that. And all of my friends used to tell me, like, they would offer it to me. I'd go to music festivals, my boyfriend, like, everyone who loved me and cared about me was like, you have to do psychedelics. Like, please try them. I, and I would always say... Like I am so, and at the time I hadn't been formally diagnosed with generalized anxiety. I had never been to a therapist. I'd been sick my whole life and nobody was able to help me. And I just thought like, I'm so mentally unstable that I'm going to take something and I'm going to go off the edge and I'm never going to come back. And I was so convinced of that. And it wasn't until I had my daughter and I, and I started like really taking ownership of my mental health and like learning about it, managing it and kind of like getting a hold of it that I started feeling called towards something like psychedelics and plant medicine and being like, oh, like these things can help me get better. Like that's what they're for. And then I became interested.
0: Yeah. It's, it's interesting because, um, there's so much about drugs that people think we know, but it's actually propaganda and it's just a convenient rewriting of history, like <laughs> everything else. Yeah. Um, and for me, really, that was the first big thing that cracked me open. Mm-hmm. Um, I was already on an intentional path. I already knew that plants could heal and I had already done what everyone else said to do because, you know, the truth about me is I'm a good girl. Mm-hmm. I like being a good girl. <laughs> I like doing, I'm, I, I like doing what is required to be a good girl. That's how I was raised. And, and so I did what they said. I got sober. I did AA meetings. I wasn't an alcoholic, but I was just so fucked up. They just don't, and they're like, you smoke weed. You got to go to a meeting. You're fucked up. And I'm like, okay, I'm here in the meeting. And I'm hearing people talk about these experiences with drugs. And I'm like, I don't belong here. And I'm an empath. And this is really destroying me and making me more depressed. Please let me not be here. You know? So, and I did, I did so many medications. I lost my sex drive. I lost my creativity. And then I had to get off of them. And I sh- I shit you not, I did not know that they were addictive. Mm. I had no idea that prescription antidepressants and antipsychotics, I was also getting hooked on them. And when that hit me, um, it was even darker because I got pregnant accidentally mm-hmm. with my fiance. We'd only been together for like a year, but I got pregnant and I was on all these meds and they were like, your baby will have no arms and legs. Mm. You have to get an abortion. And that was really interesting for me, oh. you know, I'm pretty open when it comes to being pro-choice, but it's different when you don't actually have a choice. Right. Um, and it was like a really big moment for me where I also leaned on cannabis differently. And it also helped me develop the products with Kush Queen through that experience. Mm and really need effective products, really need to also be able to consume high amounts of THC during the day without actually being inebriated or needing to um, consume so much and know that you can't smoke that much. You know, smoking is this really archaic experience and it's just It's just the way that cannabis started and not a lot of people think about it in the future. Not a lot of people think about it in these unique ways. And so, and that was my big moment where I was like, okay, like CBD is powerful. CBD isn't a scam. It isn't this hemp thing. If you have the right kind of CBD in the right doses and approach it in the way that I did when I was weaning, which is every single day. Mm-hmm. like veggies, you know, you don't, you don't eat a salad once a week. You don't eat a salad when you get sick. You eat a salad every day. You need green vegetables every day. You need water every day. I truly believe like a carrot, you need cannabis every day in the right way. Mm-hmm. You don't need to take a dab every day, even though you can, if you want to, <laughs> you know, and, and I really, I really was able to get off pharmaceuticals because of cannabis and CBD and my products. And that was where it started for me. And that's also when I, I kind of got my life coach. I mean, it was a little bit after, but my mom, um, she got diagnosed with a brain tumor. I, I got into Urban Outfitters and then my mom got a brain tumor two days later. Oh my she fell out in my yard and my life, I couldn't breathe. I felt um, I was I was crippled. I, you know, I, I did get a bipolar diagnosis when I was about 22 And that's what led me to the medication I was on. Um, And of course, when I went through that, they told me, you can't live without meds. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to be in a bad place without meds. And I'm like, I, I want to believe that I can work through that. I want to believe that whatever it is, I can get through it. And the truth is that I had no coping mechanisms, none, zilch, not a clue. It was, it was like, I'm good. I'm terrible. I'm dying like yeah. in an instant. And so really truly my life coach and really also doing deep inner child work, shadow work, understanding I was in survival mode, understanding that I was basically trying to get the things I didn't get as a child. Also like going there, it helped and I my life was getting better and then you know the pandemic started to be near and I'm a small business owner. I've never taken investment like everyone else in the cannabis industry. Mm -hmm. The one thing I have going for me is that I'm independently owned and I get to do whatever I want. That's like my saving grace in why I'm an entrepreneur. And then it was basically all being threatened and like, I wish that I came from a family of incredibly positive people, but my mom was literally telling my employees, well, you can get a job at Amazon. (laughs) I shit you not. My mom, those are, these are actual, this is tea. This is real tea. And my mom was saying that like January last year, and she was scared of COVID then. And I'm like, really? She was begging me not to go to Nashville. You know, she's like, I'm telling you, you need to save your money. It's going to be rainy. And I'm like, really? And because you're just like, you don't think a pandemic is coming. And then it all just, it just rained on me. And, you know, a huge amount of my wholesale side of my business is mom and pops. It's people that I saw go out of business at the start of the pandemic, even though we, we grew with our um, e-commerce sales and we're fine it's just still a lot to go through. And then, but luckily there, there was psychedelics for me. There was, Mm. um, I started with psilocybin. That's where I recommend people start. If people are interested, I started with what I call a sort of a mini dose. It's more than a micro it's where you do have effects, but you aren't fully tripping. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, I think that's, sort of my calling to a little bit with psychedelics is, um, there's not only one way to use something, but there has traditionally been one way to use psychedelics for the most part, which has been larger doses. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people within the community who only believe you you have to go big in order to get the benefits and maybe it's because i do all the other work and i i have been on this path for five plus years and i have been working with my coach for many but when i added psilocybin into the mix it felt like everything finally came together it, it snapped into place and then when i did um a microdose journey with lsd and was able to acquire lsd lsd's Really, really hard to get, unfortunately. It's a really great psychedelic and it has over a thousand plus papers of actual medical research. It's a really good drug that is in some really, really, really bad stigmatized propaganda and bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I finally got my hands on it um and I did the LSD journey, that's when I saw another huge like quantum leap for my life. Mm. Um, and for me, using LSD was different than using psilocybin, especially the microdose. Um, I found a lot of creativity. I did a lot of writing. I did a ton of um, like work for my business in a way that I hadn't done in many years, just because my passion has been sort of, you know, beat into submission by the reality of of running a compliant, cannabis business in a market that is so unkind to small businesses in a state that is unkind to small businesses. Um, So it really truly did this thing for me also that I really fell in love with the beauty of the world and the beauty of the present moment. And for me, my psychedelic use isn't about the trip, even though now that I have felt more confident to journey to other places and found the beauty in even having an ego death experience or ego dissolution. Um, you know, I really truly believe that it it's taught me that the the present is really the like it's it for me. And being connected, like I feel like when I when I did the LSD journey, I plugged my arms, they're just plugs into the universe mm-hmm. and it's really given me a lot of perspective and i really just try to take what i see especially on the larger journeys and what i get that beauty and try to just like create that every single day in my life without it um but you know the tiktok side of it has become interesting just because i'm still a student and now a lot of people see me as a source for information mm-hmm. and a teacher And I wasn't really prepared for that. You know, I just thought I was brave enough and privileged enough to share. I thought that because of my position in cannabis um, and because of my journey and my openness with my mental health, um, because it's not like I just started talking about being bipolar. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like I just started talking about having an abortion all of these things have been a part of my story. And every single time someone has offered me the opportunity to tell it, I talk about it Mm -hmm. and it really triggers people. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it's important. And I think that it's really important to normalize all of these things and have these conversations and Mm -hmm. say them to the point that no one flinches anymore, because it's not all of the things that people think it is. It's just like psychedelics. We have all of these, you know, constructs and constraints in these things. I mean, even, um, I think it's even interesting being able to have a conversation like this, just being able to have a conversation and go, it doesn't exist a lot. Yeah. Long form content just, and people don't understand too how, the idea of the content or the idea of the interview or the idea of something literally changes it in, in the moment, you know? Um, it really does. It's like, well, we only have this much time, so we got to hit these points, you know? And so it's interesting because I see myself really as a storyteller. Um, and I just feel like my life has been kind of crazy and it's kind of been like a movie within itself. And it's my, like, my job to tell my story in hopes that maybe other people will tell theirs, because I think that's really the key, mm-hmm. you know? I think it's so weird how our culture's so obsessed with celebrities and so obsessed with, like, fake shit, like, literally telling stories of things that didn't exist. Like, mm-hmm. I was a little kid, um, and this is fucked up, but I didn't like cartoons, and I didn't see The Lion King until I was, like, 17. Oh. Like, did not like a Disney movie okay Uh and people would like watch cartoons and I'd be like oh that shit's fake Mm. it's not real why do y'all want to watch it it's an it's drawn it's an animation (laughs) you know and I personally like didn't like it I think it's very weird but um you know I just am one of those people who I think that real people and real stories and real real shit is better than made up shit And I think that so much about the things that people want to change with the world, especially when it comes to um, race and the drug war and all of the way, you know, women's rights, the way that people police things, if you will, um, all of those things are held up by celebrity culture and a lot of this like fake shit. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was another reason I got on TikTok is because I thought, ooh, this might this might fuck some shit up, you know, Mm -hmm. this really might, um, in some ways because it's its own community and it's its own place and you're either in it or you're not. And sure, people can make their jokes about like, date someone who doesn't have a TikTok, you Mm -hmm. know, (laughs) TikTok's for kids and dancers. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's definitely been an interesting plot twist for, my journey because I kind of thought my days as an influencer were over and I kind of you know sort of acclimated to this new person that is more of a CEO but I don't think that's what's meant for me I think the universe keeps pulling me back into the place of just like I'm not like them, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not like most TikTokers. I'm not like most influencers and I'm also not like most CEOs. So I'm trying to stand in whatever that is.
1: I'm also trying to manage
0: time better, but it's not easy. Yeah. I mean, you're making a lot of content and a
1: lot of things in a lot of different places, but I do think you're coming across the way you want to. I think you're doing a good job of standing in that and offering it. And I mean, there's a hundred different places I want to go right now, but specifically what we were talking, where you were mentioning about like normalizing the conversation and like the reason we have conversations like this is to, or the reason I like to, is to destigmatize stigmatize and to normalize and to educate because I feel since my space tends to be around mental health, like there's such an access problem with mental health and it's, you have to be in such a privileged place to get therapy and to even get educated. And I find the same thing happening with the cannabis industry. Like I'm in a, I'm in Florida. I have my medical marijuana card and I'm able to let, and I got it pretty easily. And I'm able to like order online some weed and pick the strain and talk to a guy on the phone. And he comes to my house with a goodie bag and like his little polo. And it's like, such a like bougie experience. And the entire time I'm so aware that there are people rotting in prison for doing way less than that. And it just, it gets me like really fired up. And I, there's a, there's a conversation to be had around that. And I feel like doing stuff like this helps. And I'm wondering like what the conversation is like within the industry, what type of like action can people like us be taking to just keep pushing that forward so that it maybe goes faster?
0: Well, you know, it's funny because when I got into cannabis, I really thought that I was like, kind of being an activist, like I I was confused. I thought that when we legalized cannabis, they would let everybody out of jail Mm -hmm. Um, and that this legal industry was sort of an end to the war on drugs, but it hasn't been. It's continued. Um, And now, because of the way the United States is set up, we have this very decentralized thing happening, where you literally have people in jail for the same thing that people are doing in California every single day now. And unfortunately, it's going to take um, an unbelievable amount of pressure on the federal government. And what people also have to realize is, in perspective, um, I think it took... 40 years for them to technically legalize gay marriage from the point of real movement. So we're still, um, a a while away. I mean, for me personally, it's always sort of been something because I have been sort of fringe with activists and working with real organizers and really having that privilege of knowing people who were doing real work, because at least when cannabis, like, a lot of the people who do the the real work, the work on the legal side of it, the work on the activism side, Um, They came from the LGBTQ movement. People don't realize that it was gay men and women who brought us legal cannabis. We got medical cannabis in California in 1996 under something called Prop 215, which actually was considered the Compassionate Care Act. It was off the heels of the AIDS epidemic and it was written by a gay man. And a lot of people don't know this, Mm -hmm. like the first piece of legalization ever, was in nineteen, I believe, seventy-six, and it was under Harvey Milk, and then people who were from Harvey under Harvey Milk, Clive Jones, all of these people, um, they went on, and then of course, you know, people don't also know the first dispensary in the United States was a Buyers Club, you know, it was, it's so, it's such like a huge part of the cannabis history that people forget, along with the War on Drugs and. I wish that I could say people in the cannabis industry care, but they don't. They legitimately only care about money. Mm. And I think it's getting better every single day. There's so many groups of people trying to hold people accountable. There are people like myself who've just kind of always done my own thing. And, you know, it wasn't like the first time I ever featured a black person was after the George Floyd, you know, summer. But that was the truth for a lot of cannabis Mm -hmm. companies. Um, For me personally, I try to do work in those two places. Okay. I every single year make a huge deal of pride. I always have. I've literally before it was legal, I marched in the pride parade with a group of activists, and I was like a rainbow pot leaf. <laughs> one of the best days of my life. But it's really something. So I I work with an organization right now called Asylum Connect, and they're specifically working on. Um, with asylum seekers, real asylum seekers, we do stuff with them. Um, but when it comes to addressing the war on drugs, it's up to all of us to put pressure on our lawmakers, on the regulators, on the legislators. And it's like, the problem is that no one is privileged enough to be paying attention when they're making some of these laws. The truth is that when we voted for Prop 64 in California, we knew we were voting against our own interest Because It was written all over the bill that corporations would own the industry. It was very obvious with the rate of the licensing fees that people like myself would never have a chance in the industry. I've snuck in because of my connections and being... Um, you know, on social media and having some of these things that other people don't have. But without the help of a lot of great people, I still wouldn't be in the compliant market today. So, you know, it's, it's a very complicated issue. There are companies who do the things they do direct work. Like this summer, we're doing a a training and it's actually done by a formerly incarcerated person. Mm -hmm. And they're going to come teach us what, they believe is the right thing to be doing as a cannabis company. But we also work with families of tons of formerly incarcerated people in um, Southern California and then with an organization called National Expungement Week. And they actually do the work of expunging records because people don't understand like what a process record expungement is. And instead of like the day they make weed legal, they just expunge all these records. They fucking don't. They let people have records that could be expunged. And these people don't even know because they don't have access to legal and you need a lawyer to do it. So, um, you know, we just, we just do the work, you know, we just do the work, but I wish, I wish the cannabis industry would change and care about more than money, but they don't. Mm -hmm. Um, and most of the people that we buy their products, they suck. And if people knew who they really were, they wouldn't buy their weed. I want to believe that every single day people will become more and more educated as consumers, that they'll ask the right questions, that they'll look at who owns the company, at the work people are doing and, you know, really choose products with companies that have the ethos that, al- and that align with them. But um, we, we have so many things working against us. That's the other thing with cannabis. You have big pharma hates us, Mm -hmm. alcohol industry getting destroyed by us. Like the statistics there are not good. (laughs) People use cannabis. They use less alcohol. We know this. Um, And then you have law enforcement, you know, there's, there's a whole new black market. I don't like to use the word black market. It's, it's not really a good term, but traditional market people use here illicit market but there's just a whole bunch of illegal dispensaries not paying their you know part to the government in California the that market crushes the legal market no one talks about it because at the end of the day if you have your money if you have your hundred dollars you want to go somewhere where you can get the most for your hundred dollars you don't want to pay forty percent tax
1: right
0: um so I'm concerned the industry's been set up to fail I'm concerned for cannabis companies. You know, I think a lot of the cannabis companies will say, well, we don't have time. We're The war on drugs is not our problem. We have to survive as a company. But you see these companies come in and their whole business model is just to like buy everyone up. Yeah. Um, and it happens to me all the time. I get offers all the time to sell my whole dream, my whole life's work for <sighs> three pennies and a nickel and a bunch of shares in some other larger company. It's been happening to me since like, probably 2018 and um you know i just know that there's gonna be a time when it does go federal and i think that's when the industry will really be beginning i think all this stuff that's happening right now from like a business standpoint is in some ways just like a big social experiment because people especially these cannabis companies these corporate cannabis companies they 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 crunch these numbers and they build these decks and they go and raise all this money, but then they can't actually make as much money as they claim they can. It's like MedMen. You know, MedMen is a very, very well-known company. They supported me throughout my whole career, but the guys who created the company, they blew through more money than I can even comprehend having. Mm. Um, And so, and it's a very common thing, you know, it's, it's common that these companies are worth, two billion but lose four billion right um and that's a game that's now sucking the life out of the cannabis space so it's really hard <laughs> and unfortunately the war on drugs is just the last thing on a lot of people's minds in yeah. this space and it's just very sad man
1: yeah i mean that makes sense but it is hard to hear um i yeah. i would i be remiss to not ask you about this since this is what the show is about. Um, but I want to keep talking about the other stuff. But I'm curious about what your relationship with social media has been like throughout your career. I know you've used it to, you know, build build your brands and things like that. But I'm wondering if it has ever taken a toll on your mental health and if you've noticed anything and if you ever take breaks and yeah, what your journey has been like with with the apps.
0: Um You know, it's been interesting. I think the first half of my career, I was really in denial about it. And I think that when people brought up social media being negative for my mental health or being just like another outlet for me to seek approval or perform, um, I was like very, very, very triggered. And it took me like pretty much multiple years to come to a place where I can say, Social media is incredibly harmful. Um, The tech companies are long overdue to be regulated. And I also have a whole nother side to my story with social media because um, I lost my entire business and I was censored and I was deleted. And I faced so much. I mean, I face it on TikTok still, like I don't try to talk about it as much because it's kind of like crying me a river. Mm-hmm. Um, but my friend, even he, he sent me a text a couple, a little while ago. He was like, I was like, Oh, you're going to overtake me in followers. And he's like, yeah, but like every single one of your videos gets taken down. Right. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I forget that. <laughs> um, but it's a journey. Um, I'm lucky that I'm in a relationship with someone who hates social media. <laughs> um, he hates it. Like he hates it yeah. and he doesn't have it really. So he really does help me build boundaries, but um, it's been hard for me just because I got so fucked by Instagram and then I had to start over. I was lucky that I was never one of those people that focused on likes or focused on followers or focused on any of that, probably because I had my business, but I think it's incredibly addictive and I know I'm addicted to it. Um, that I just say point blank period. I, I don't know what it'll become for my life outside of, you know, my business. I think that was, that's always been my thing is like, I, I do have an online business Mm -hmm. and so I can always say, well, you know, it's my business. Um, (laughs) but I can see TikTok, me needing to take breaks with it and me needing to, Probably shield myself a little bit only because so many people write negative comments and a lot of their negative experiences with psychedelics. And that's something that I don't have in my mind and I don't want anywhere Mm -hmm. near my person. Um, But I want to just keep building my following to keep doing good with it. And so I just try to focus on that. And then I still work with a life coach, I'm still constantly doing work on myself. And I'm constantly evolving the way that I approach my mental health. So if I do feel that it's ever impeding, like I'll definitely stop mm-hmm. um, and take breaks. But where I'm at right now is I really want to use the momentum I have going on TikTok to continue to do good work. And my biggest goal in life, like, no shit, is getting to be successful enough that. I can influence politics with money and get the tech industry regulated. Mm. If you knew the deep hatred that I have inside of my soul for Instagram, you would know that I mean it. Mm. And people should know that about me, that I'm kind of on this ride to destroy everything that brought me here. I'm kind of like a natural born nut job and I literally am gonna light this whole place on fire. If I rise high enough, I'm gonna do it, mm-hmm. um, because I want to change the fucking world. Yeah. And I I know um, I know how bad people are hurting. You know, I think that's the thing about mental health. I think that's I think that's why I'm so into finding time in my busy life to do TikTok. Um, and to do keep building and keep connecting with people because we're all we have to save each other you know someone commented yesterday like if you do as much psychedelics as I think you do how do you do social media Hmm. and I said that's a really good point Mm -hmm. but I'm here for something else And I really believe that I'm probably from like another planet. I'm probably like an alien and I probably got the option to come back here, um, mainly to sacrifice myself for the greater good of humanity. And I think that, you know, I grew up in a place in Louisiana that was so small and so poor that it's hard to describe to people. Like when I took my fiance there, he was kind of like freaked out because I told him it was a small town, but he's from California. He'd never seen a small town like this. Yeah. This town was built by Shell Oil in the heart of Cancer Alley. It's a hundred square miles of the most industrialized chemical plants in the country. And every single person in my family dies before they're 50. And I thought that your life was just like, you got cancer and died. I didn't realize that I lived in the epicenter of cancer i didn't realize that i lived in the epicenter of environmental racism but i knew as a three-year-old child what the kkk was Mm -hmm. i saw it with my own fucking eyes i had a gay brother in the south who was sick every single day because he was being fucking bullied in school and then my parents magically got me out of louisiana and then took me to california and I lived in a melting pot of people. I lived in, then I moved to a city of, you know, tens of millions. And I was in the entertainment industry and I lived a very privileged life. And I had not near the wealth that people have here. Because um, my parents, they don't even have college degrees. But I, having that experience, it shook me it, sh- it to my core. And then being able to grow up you know also i was very young when i saw skid row again with my own eyes and ears Mm -hmm. you you are only your experiences That's why some of the people who've been through the worst shit are the coolest, most wise people. That's why the way we destroy indigenous culture and we don't respect it and we don't learn from it and we don't understand that we need ritual, we need it passed down, we need the wisdom, we need ceremony, we need all these things, you know, it's just, it's hard because I... I try to be a lighthearted person now and I try to be positive because I never had positivity in my life until I used psychedelics. But life is so fucking heartbreaking. And there's so much we have to change about this world, especially in America. And I just feel like, I'm actually crazy enough to verbalize all this shit. And I have been for many years and I'm going to keep saying it. And no, maybe I won't actually change the world, but maybe I'll leave it better than I came into it. And I will not have taken for granted everything that I got because that's the other thing, you know, it's like when you get out and no one else does, when you are the only woman in your family without children at this point, um, when you're, you know, my own people in my family deal with even more severe mental illness than I do. Um, seeing, seeing that, seeing that process, trying to get a diagnosis, like we had insurance, we had things, but people don't understand that you're not schizophrenic until they see you actually act schizophrenic. And that requires so much you know you have to go through so much to get these these diagnoses and then and then the mental health system is just so fucked and it's like that that's another reason like I felt like I had to get on TikTok and I had to start like using my story and telling people like you can get better because I never heard about anyone getting better right they never told me oh yeah there's there's people who get better there's people who live successful lives there's no peer to peer. There is an addiction, but mm-hmm. there isn't in all this other shit. Right. And we need peer to peer, but I realize there's no peer to peer because no one gets fucking better. And so that's also when I was like, hmm, maybe I should like try to use TikTok for that. You know, maybe mm-hmm. I should try to throw some shit at the wall because I really have been through it. I've gotten off the pharmaceuticals. I've Got my Kush Queen products. I'm successful by society standards. Um, I'm a woman. I'm white. Maybe maybe someone will listen to me, and I can advocate for all these things that I'm passionate about. And then for the dire need to reshape, re um, like imagine the way we look at mental health, the way we think about it, the way we approach it, the way we care for each other. And then the fucking pandemic hit. (laughs) And now we have millions of people going into this system and they've never been depressed before and they don't know anxiety and they don't know the medication doesn't fucking really work that well. You feel better, but you don't, well, you don't feel worse, but you don't feel better. It's my design. (laughs) It's my favorite James Fadiman quote, Mm. because that's exactly what they want, because you got to take more in 12 hours, you know? And then, you know, it's like the medical research. Everyone says, oh, well, the research, we don't have enough research. And it's like, well, they only study what they want and conveniently no bipolar people and no schizophrenics. Mm -hmm. And it breaks my heart because you can be mentally ill and you can live a beautiful life. And you can be mentally ill and you can have good days and you can have bad days, but you can be a great member of your community and you can help other people. And it's like, that is truly my greatest calling in life is to just be brave enough to say like, hi, I'm Olivia. I'm very, very mentally ill. And I show up every single day to life and I do my best. I cry some days. Sometimes it's not great. Sometimes it's better. Um, I grow, I learn. And more than that, like I give a shit enough about other people to know that. I think that's also the thing about being really mentally ill is it's a group of people who can't advocate for themselves because you can't really do anything. And it's, it's really hard for people who've never been there to understand the, the way that you're like in a loop of being paralyzed and you can't, you can't change. You can't, you can't get out. And I think that's really the thing for me as well is, um, you know, because I have a self-care business, we, we yell self-care at people who are not able to do self-care. Right. And that's when I started discovering this idea of community care hmm. and this activist in, in Canada, it's, it's really her, her brainchild. And I, I really thought, Wow. That's what, that's what really calls to me is, is you can become well enough that you can then care for your community. Mm-hmm. But there's all these people that were yelling self-care to, and that's not what they need. And it, there's just so many disconnects in the mental health system. And that's something that I think can only be changed by people who've been in it. Yeah. And that's something that I really hope that people can see in me is that I'm, I am anti big pharma. I can't say that I'm not like, I won't lie, (laughs) but I do think some people need meds and I do think it's okay. I mean, I took them for seven years. I think it's okay if you want to get off them. I think it's okay if you want to stay on them, if that's what's right for your life. But I just don't think it's an industry looking to really help people live their best lives. And I just, it concerns me that it's like parallel to the mental health space, you know, is this whole drug industry. Mm -hmm. And I really just know the helplessness that people live in. And, And then the reality is, is that mental illness just doesn't affect the person. It affects the family. It affects the mothers. It affects the fathers. It's a whole nother conversation we could probably have about what I learned when I wasn't the patient. Mm -hmm. What I learned when I was a caretaker. When I learned when I saw people I loved going through terrible psychosis. You know, when I saw, um, you know, the worst of this boogeyman called schizophrenia. And it's really been something that is also, I haven't talked about it yet. I will hopefully talk about it more and more as I become more well, but that journey for me of seeing how this can affect a whole family and how helpless, you know, my mom has been most of her life because even though my brother and I are under care, she won't get any for herself. Mm -hmm. And I try to tell her every day, I'm like, you can talk to someone about this. Like even your brain tumor mom, like you should talk to someone about it. It's okay. Nope, nothing. Mm. And it, I know it's generational. And I think that that's also it. Millennials, we are called to care about mental health and the yeah. the mental health space. Um, because I think, I really think 9-11 has a lot to do with it. You know, people don't like to talk about the fact that we're we're all depressed, but we were all in school one day and they drove a bunch of planes into a building. And we, yep. when I was in junior high, they put, they w- rolled a TV in and they let us watch it. Live, live. Yeah, I got home and my mom was waiting for us at the door as if she was going to tell me about what happened. And I was like, we already know. We right. watched it all day at school. My mom was furious. Mm-hmm. And it's like incredibly traumatizing. And that's yeah. just another thing, like, No one talks about trauma in the way that I've come to learn about it, which is like just because you're not like sexually abused or physically abused does not mean you haven't been through trauma. Right. The smallest thing can be trauma Mm -hmm. to a child, to it to a fragile being, Mm -hmm. or a certain like form of even neglect is just not. It's just some people's parenting style. Right. And that's something, you know, because I was in beauty pageants and I was acting from the time I was two years old and I didn't really have a childhood. And that was something that really affected me. You know, one of the biggest things that I had to learn as an adult in therapy was how to play. Because I never did. And... Even when I played, I played adult, I played grown up, you know? And so it's like very, um, it's been very, very good for me to, you know, use psychedelics, especially psilocybin and pour paint and create things and also create things that don't have to be good to be bad at something. You Mm. know, I had to relearn a lot of like really basic shit. Um, but I also think that's part of what I want the mental health industry to understand is that there's more therapy than just talk therapy and drugs. Right. Nature therapy is legitimate therapy. Forest bathing is legitimate. And none of us go to nature. I never did. I hated it. And then they're like, well, you need to go sit in the trees and listen to the birds. I'm like, what? What? Okay. (laughs) Same with painting. Same with music. These things are not brought into therapy. And I hope, that psychedelics also as it enters the space, because I do believe that is, you know, people call this the psychedelic renaissance Mm -hmm. or the third wave, but it really is my favorite. And I get this from Hamilton, from Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia. He said Mm -hmm. that hopefully it is a pharmacological like he called it a pharmacological therapy renaissance. Mm. And it's, it's got to be partially about new therapeutics, new drugs, and also about different types of experiences and therapies being acknowledged. Mm -hmm. And maybe we could just also give into a little Chinese medicine, a little ancient indigenous medicine, and really stop being so disconnected. And Look at the body as (laughs) a whole unit, because they were looking at my brain, right? And I don't know if that's the source of my problem. Right. We don't know if so much is going on in the gut. If the body isn't just a brain sitting in a vat of water, (laughs) you know why? Why? Why are we looking at it that way? Is that why so many of us can't get better?
1: My goodness. Well, first of all, I need to tell you that you mentioned how like you want to change the world and you don't know if you're going to change the world, but you're still going to keep doing this. I will say to reframe that and that you're changing a lot of little worlds every single day. Like that is what this work does. Like you change worlds all day long with this type of work. And that's why it's so incredibly necessary right now because like we, as much as we want to like change the system from the top and like get it fixed like that's that's a really big dream but if we can like change and like just like you said you didn't know your your antidepressants were addictive right like a lot of people don't a lot of people don't know that these apps were designed to Affect our brains like addictive drugs. And that's why so many of us are addicted to it. And the more we talk about it, the more people will use them differently. And these conversations just need to keep happening. And I think that a lot of people are paying attention, especially now. Like they have no choice. Like they're just sitting around, well,
0: zooming. This, this pandemic has really brought all of this into a new light. It's brought, you know, a lot of different people to conversations they wouldn't normally be having. I think it's brought a lot of people time. And I think, unfortunately, my life coach told me this really interesting bit of information. She told me that people only normally come to her for two reasons. They're the type of person who's constantly seeking improvements. Mm -hmm. And they're kind of a more woo-woo type of person who's always looking to heal or they hit a wall. And she said that 95% of people who come to her, it's because they've hit a wall in their life is in complete disarray. And I think that unfortunately right now people are collectively hitting a wall and some of them are hitting a wall that they're just realizing our government doesn't give a shit about us for the first time. Other people are isolated other people are um, realizing probably that their whole lives were not really a life, but doing things. And, you know, I think social media can be a great distraction and a disease. And at the same time, it can be this great thing that we have that connects us. And I think like, that's really the thing everybody's on an app, but they all want connection. They all want to feel like they belong to something and they all want to find something that makes them feel something. Um, I don't think everyone is as experienced in talking about their feelings and Mm -hmm. knowing who they are. Like everyone is at a different place with that. Um, I think most people they say operate Mm -hmm. below courage So people are operating at a pretty low level. And I try to keep that in mind and and try to meet people where they are. Um, but it's really truly quite a crazy time to be on earth. (laughs) 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 I
1: I agree with that. Um, I was on a I was on one of your TikTok lives the other day and you were you you know talking and sharing and you you used the word gatekeeping and you mentioned how like you're not a gatekeeper and you want to share and and I had never like clicked that word in with this whole conversation and it made a lot of sense because I felt like I just could not find information on this stuff and like the people who might have it maybe didn't feel safe sharing it or whatever it was so I'm wondering like with that in mind since you do share and you you know you want to kind of take away that idea of gatekeeping people who are listening to this conversation and starting to like open their eyes and being like wow I really want to I'm getting interested in this stuff I want to learn about it like where can somebody like that start or if they're starting to get curious what should they look into what should they read about um who sh- things like that where should they start
0: yeah i mean there is a huge idea in psychedelics in the community that's unspoken but it's that you need to do the work yourself to find your entry point mm-hmm. but I just think that's a little hopeful, and I think that we need millions and tens of millions and hundreds of millions of people exploring these molecules, um, especially because if everyone can find the love and the self-acceptance and the positivity and the joy and the beauty um, that they can really offer in the right set setting and support, you know, I say it's the three S's, um, For me, I started reading a book called A Really Good Day. Um, It is about microdosing LSD, but it's specifically about microdosing. And I think um, How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan is like the perfect entry point. I think he was destined to write that book, not just to change millions of people's minds, but to give people a really good sort of lay of the land. Um, And then there are so many great resources popping up. There's Double Blind Mag that has classes. They're a little expensive. Um, there's also a company called the Third Wave. Again, their microdosing class is a little incredibly expensive Mm -hmm. for my taste. Um, you know, and I think that's also it is that I'm already in a place financially where I don't need to charge for information. Mm -hmm. Um I probably could be making a ton more money and could be, you know, doing the whole thing, but I'm not a coach, I'm not in psychedelics, and I'm just a person who thinks certain information should be free. Um, And then I also feel that I'm connected to a new wave of young millennials that are entering the psychedelic space or already in it, and they are who I connect people to. You know, the big thing people accuse me of gatekeeping is necessarily not information, but the places in which I get product, which of course, is illegal (laughs) um I've had people tell me oh you better watch out like the cops are definitely gonna come arrest you and I definitely had a couple nights where I got too high and I thought like oh my god like (laughs) the cop's gonna come arrest me (laughs) and then like my fiance's like well if they did like you know I don't have a criminal record at this point so I guess I'd figure it out but we like sat there and I'm like let's not talk about that (laughs) but um I do believe in the next two years, two to four years, California will legalize psychedelics. And I do I didn't think it was going to become like a recreational product, but in my mind, there'll be recreational size doses that you can buy and then there'll be the medical clinical experiences. Mm-hmm. There's like tons of retreat centers popping up that are already just like openly practicing mm-hmm. ceremonies out here. Um, and all over. I mean I don't know where it's going to go as an industry, but I just think that for me, there's just so much conversation going on about depression, anxiety and PTSD and ADHD and pharmaceuticals just didn't work for me. And this worked for me. And I just think like, I have to pass this knowledge on because if I could save one person, like a few extra years, you know, cause like, that's what I think. I think like, Wow, if I could get all those years back, um, and I can't, you know, I can't get the years back that I spent in that. And it's hard because people just don't get it. They just don't get that you don't want to be the way that you are, but you are completely that way. And the thing about the psychedelics and the neurogenesis, what that is, is it's making the cell itself, the neuron, have more dendrites, it's making it stronger. And then it's changing the way the neuron actually moves in the brain, increasing neuroplasticity, which is why you see people having these like crazy life changes. Um, but yeah, I, I just feel like sharing the medicine is, you know, or putting people in touch with healers is a good move for me. I also like when I first went viral with my first LSD video, I put on like a gummy company and then I had like a lot of my followers getting scammed and mm-hmm. it was kind of like a bad situation. And so for me, it's also a way that I protect people. Um, even though I do put myself at risk by just putting people in contact. Right. Um, but I'm willing to do that. And and I went into a clubhouse room um, and that guy, Tucker Max, who wrote that mm. book, like I hope they don't serve beer in hell. Yeah, Evidently he went from being like, the most famous asshole in the world like literally to using psychedelic therapy and he's like a different person and he wrote an article about it and had like thousands of people wanting the info and accusing him of being a gatekeeper and he went through like a similar experience and i was randomly in a clubhouse room with him as he's telling this story and i'm like oh my god i have to ask a question and i have to ask him what i should do meaning like do i tell people where to get the products And he told me what he did, and so I kind of just follow that and try to just do what I can. But, um, you know, I've been received very well so far by people in psychedelics. Um, I've been really shocked because the cannabis industry is so cruel and Mm. so competitive. So, like, for people to just call me out of the blue and say, I want to work with you, I want to pick your brain, I need to see what you're doing, like... um, Cause you know, a lot of people think, um, you know, just, it's going to be the biggest industry, but the more you use psychedelics, the less you kind of need them. Yeah. So I don't really know about all that, but I do think that there is so much potential and therapeutic benefit. Mm -hmm. And I think that I hope my highest hope for it, is that it at least reshapes the whole mental health system mm. but you know it's another side of it that people talk about on Clubhouse that I never get to say enough on my own channel on tiktok or in my lives which is that um, the scaling of the psychedelic therapy requires not just people to want it the demand is there but people to be trained and become clinical Mm -hmm. And I think that there's so many young people out there right now who are looking for their next career path or people who are looking for their next thing that they want to do. And becoming clinically licensed is a lot easier than it sounds. Mm -hmm. And I think that it could also be this huge opportunity for people in the pandemic, people who are jobless, people who are looking for that next thing. Um, But I think I got way off from your question, but (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's all valuable. so many places for people to to get into psychedelics to explore it I always recommend um the fantastic fungi documentary with Paul Stamets there's not like a lot of specific stuff yet on microdosing I think it'll be coming like in the next few years but um you know there's just a bunch of research coming out now saying it's all placebo and I'm like it's not a placebo like yeah it's well, I wanted
1: yeah. to ask you, I mean, I don't know if I'll keep this in or not, because I don't know how, like, legal it is to talk about necessarily, but I, so I reached out to you because uh, I wanted to start my journey with microdosing, and I started today. And I started my first dose. And, That's your journey? Yeah. And I was like really nervous. Like I said, I was like, I know I'm going to be the only person who ever has like a full on trip with a micro dose and I'm not going to be able to like drive. And like, I was freaking out, but it was totally fine. And I I'm wanting to know, I want to, I'm the type of person, like, I love having information. I love knowing what I'm doing. I like to also be really intentional about it. Like I set it up and I had whatever, and I'm wondering like what your experience with it has been like, and like what your protocol is. If you take, if you were doing like three days on, two days off kind of thing, um, how long it took for you to start feeling effects. Like I've watched all your TikToks, and you talk about how it like helped you not feel depressed anymore. And like for somebody who feels that way, it's hard to imagine like what does it feel like to not be depressed anymore. So I'm just wondering like what when you start feeling that way. (laughs)
0: Um, well for me, because I took a larger dose, I really did feel my brain producing serotonin right away. Like the first time, I mean, I, like I said, I did not have visuals. I had like sparkles. I call them like, it seemed like the light was like the sparkle emoji. When I took that first dose, um, I started with one on two off because that was what like I had heard. And then I only use psilocybin. And I did that for about six months with some breaks in between. Um, And I won't lie, like, I felt that initial like, oh my god, this is getting better. But it was still rocky, you Mm -hmm. know, like, we're still living in a pandemic. Like, I don't know how much of that was just also the stress of my business and what I was like, in the moment going through. Um, But I had a huge breakthrough around month six, and then I had an even bigger breakthrough at month eight. And then by a year, people don't know who I am, meaning they don't, people are bugged out because they're like, (laughs) you're different. And I have a bunch of new hobbies. I do a bunch of things I never did a year ago. And I kind of feel strange about my life being good in the sense of I'm just not used to it right um but you know I, I do force myself to exercise I force myself to walk as soon as I wake up I don't get on my phone I don't drink coffee for at least an hour I also like cut back on caffeine substantial um I pretty much only have like one cup a day maybe two on a really crazy day <laughs> I don't really use alcohol. Um, I have like maybe two, three drinks a month, but you know, I think that's also it is, it's just like a commitment to figuring it out. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I like about microdosing is because you're checking in on the microdosing, you're checking in on your body every day. You're checking in on yourself every day. Mm -hmm. And that's not something I was really doing as much. I mean, I was doing it when my life coach reminded me to meditate when she reminded me to drop in, but I wasn't doing it almost every day when I switched to five on two off though for the depression that's also when I saw a huge increase Mm. I think the question is now like I'm I, I was trying to take a break um I wanted to take a break but I just it's a pandemic still yeah And I'm nervous in a sense of not to like not have the microdose, but just to lose my momentum and to lose my way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But sorry, Mm -hmm. um, my coach, you know, she really, she's really convinced that I don't need any of the microdosing. I don't need any of the psychedelics. And I do want to go on some larger journeys and participate in some more, um, larger doses of LSD. So I'm going to have to stop, but five on two off for depression is the way to go. Mm. Um, I know it's a lot, taking a lot more medicine and I know a lot of people don't want to take stuff every day, but Stamens does five on two off. He also does four on three off. And I find the one on two off is for people who are just trying to like broaden their self-improvement. Mm lsd one on two off you could not do lsd five days a week like even a microdose no way um and that's another thing the Fodiman protocol the one on two off that's for lsd and Fodiman, james Fodiman, he loves lsd he likes it better than psilocybin and then you know that's another thing it's just we have to open up access to people to have this it's like i tell people all the time like maybe for depression you may have quicker results with lsd you may I don't know. I can't even get it for you. You know, if I wanted to send it to you, I couldn't. Um, And that's the bummer is how hard it is. And then it's it's got to be right. It's got to be safe. It's got to really be LSD. It's got to really be liquefied. It's really got to be dose right, or you're gonna see fucking rainbows and shit. Like LSD is no joke at a higher dose. It's not psilocybin. It's also very long lasting, which is why from the clinical therapy side, you don't see people using it is because it's so much more expensive to do a study on a drug that literally lasts 10 hours. Yeah. Um, so it's a journey and you just have to keep going and know that the dose is just a tool. Okay. And when you stack it with everything else, when you stack it with exercise, when you stack it with time for yourself, stack it with self-care, you know, and then just exploring new things. For me, for some reason, the microdosing led me to want to get off my couch. Mm-hmm. which is not something that I had done and wanted to do in many years. I'm very, very antisocial and I'm very much a homebody. And I was like very okay with it. Like when the pandemic hit and everyone was like, oh, I can't go anywhere. I'm like, I don't go anywhere anyways. I'm yes, fine. Like <laughs> My fiance won't even, I don't even want to go to a fucking restaurant with him down the street. So yeah, you I thought it was perfect
1: for people with anxiety because finally everyone else felt the same way as me. Like they were like, yeah. I'd rather just be home. I'm like, yeah. Exactly.
0: hundred percent, you know?
1: Um,
0: so it's definitely just about evolving it and then getting support. You know, I think the bigger thing is like connecting with people, trying to find a support group. Like my, my big goal that I really wish I could do is like launch my own website and then have a monthly class where we either do capsule making or we do some kind of activity and then everyone can share and like, we can give feedback because so much of it is peer to peer. And then so much of it is just like finding people who are like you, who have kind of the same symptoms and asking them like, what are you doing? This and that, you know, I didn't know to switch to to five on two off until I talked to a microdosing coach. And I was like, I'm still really emotional. Like I'm still really depressed. And, or I was like, going in the right direction. And then I hit a low again, but I also had a COVID I'll break out my business. So who knows? You know, it's like that, that's the other side to all of this is like, is anything really wrong with us or is the world just completely fucked up? Mm -hmm. And it's the world is completely fucked up. And like you said, like we can change it, but can we really change it that much? You know? So you also got to be gentle on yourself and really get specific on your, things you want to change and focus on those and don't give up. I mean, honestly, like this has been a five year, people are seeing me five years in, not into microdosing, but really five years into like, I was getting to a point that I was getting scared again because of my suicidal thoughts. And for me, that's the one good thing that I have is I get really scared. And then I like have to get help because I'm like, oh my God, I'm so scared. Mm -hmm. And, um, whenever I started to go to that place again was when I was like, nope, I'm going to, I, the first time it happened, I got on meds Mm -hmm. and it did stop me from having the, the suicidal thoughts. And so now I'm like, well, what's going to be, you know, What's it going to be? I can't get on meds. I have to just do what it takes. So I just made that promise to myself. And I also learned how to put myself first. You know, I'm a, I'm really good at putting every single person before me. I was really good at like having multiple lives And then the whole time my internal dialogue is I hate this. I don't want to go. Why am I doing this? Fuck this person. And then I'm like, oh my God, I don't have that anymore. You know, I don't wake up with this voice in my head that I did. And it's like, so great. So, you know, just keep going. And then the only other thing I can tell people is like, There's a lot of other therapies outside of psilocybin and LSD. I just have not needed them or used them. Mm -hmm. The ketamine therapy is interesting for depression, even though there's tons of people who abuse ketamine, like in the even psychedelic industry. Mm -hmm. And then there's MDMA, which is supposedly better for PTSD, but could probably also work with depression. Um, And then there's like the crazier version of all of it, which is tripping and really going into deep ceremonies with the right facilitator and the right thing. You know, I'm, I don't want to say microdosing isn't going to work for you because it may, Mm -hmm. but it may not. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is that sometimes some people need a big ceremony to break through. I mean, I know some guys that blow my mind that they use psychedelics. I, I work, I work in cannabis with them and they, this one guy recently came to my house and like, I didn't like this guy. Like, I didn't know why he wanted to come to my house. Like I was like bugged out. I was like, why is he in my house? I don't like him. And then I was going to tell him I didn't like him. And then he, he started telling me like, he's had an epiphany and he did five MEO DMT from a frog. And he's like, in touch with some other shit, but he's a man and he can't. I mean he's microdosing now after like getting his mind blasted, but he's got his mind blasted like 10 times and he's still has a huge ego, you know? So everybody's journey is different. And the good thing is that these are just beginner molecules. Five MeO, ayahuasca, um ibogaine mainly for addicts, but there's some real really DMT even, you know, I I don't know about it for depression, but I do know enough in the larger trips to know that when you go there and you see it, you can't unsee it. Right. And it is a certain level of love and beauty. This is a terrible comparison, but the way people talked about heroin, like growing up, Mm -hmm. it's a warm blanket. It's (sighs) love no, it's not. It's terrible. I'm Not that I've done heroin, but I've done like opiates and I'm like, this is garbage. Interestingly enough, I find LSD on higher doses to feel the way that I thought people talked about heroin. Like it's the most endless waterfall of love that you've ever felt in your life. Mm -hmm. And I know people have bad experiences and bad trips, but I haven't. I have felt even in my fear in ego death, I felt so free and reborn. So, you know, you just have to know that you've started your journey today and that you're going to find your healing. And when you, when you don't know it, you just have to be reminded that people like me found it. And that means you can find it. And I'm not, I'm one of many people. I've met people who are, came, I know I met a guy, he came to psychedelics, he was going blind, so fucking angry. You know, you break your arm, they put a cast on. You go blind, they don't fucking know what to do. Yeah. And he was so damn mad. And he started using psychedelics and all kinds of crazy shit started to happen to him. So it's really, truly a journey and yours is just starting and you are going to find healing.
1: Oh, that's super comforting. Thank you for that. And for context, for people that are listening like a microdose, in my understanding, you can correct me, but like for a microdose for psilocybin, for example, it was like a hundred milligrams for like a dose.
0: It can be even less. It could be 0.5 um, to 0.25. So it's, it's so it's sub perceptual. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's below the perception. There's no effect but it is, it is changing the brain. And, and James Fadiman has said a lot of stuff about people who are saying it's placebo. It's not placebo. Neurogenesis is a real thing. I really highly recommend you also take lion's mane or medicinal mushrooms if you're not oh, taking I do that. Yeah. Definitely incorporate those, especially with the psilocybin. Mm. It, it really has an entourage effect. It all works better together. And um, it can also speed up the healing process. Hmm. Um, okay. but the reality is, is that, you know, I, I really believe you got to shake out a lot of shit yeah. and the microdosing can cause some discomfort in your life. It can cause some discomfort in your body, but when you're feeling it, when it's happening, you got to look at it. It's showing you for a reason. And, you know, having an understanding also of mycelium and mushrooms and what they do in the world mm. and how they literally mycelium allows the trees to communicate. It, mm-hmm. it is the fabric of the whole world of life and death. I think that it really can heal us. And it's really just about people learning how to use these things, you know, intentionally and us getting more and more information to share so people can um, figure it out more. You know, it's mm-hmm. still kind of, people are still kind of throwing shit at the wall. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, man, you
1: are such a wealth of knowledge and I would feel selfish and keep you on here for multiple hours. Cause I just want to keep hanging well, out
0: with you. <laughs> is that I made my dog a Kong with like a cut up banana and like, <laughs> 400 pounds of peanut butter and a shitload of CBD oil. And I don't understand how he let me do this. I was like, <laughs> I was sure that the door would come barreling, and he just oh, come God. Me, but he really, I think the CBD got it. <laughs> I, I, he's snoozling out there. I can almost oh hear my him goodness. under the door, but yeah, he really, um, he really gave me the time, but I'm really happy that we got to do this and that I could, um, you know, have this chat with you and you just need to stay strong Mm -hmm. and really love yourself and know that you're not alone and know that you're going to, this, this is the start of something really magical. I really, Mm. they don't call them magic mushrooms. (laughs) That's
1: true. That's true. And what's coming up next for you before I let you go either right now in this evening or,
0: or just for you well, in I just launched my empty capsules. I know people are right. like selling empty capsules, but you can't pa- you can't trademark anything illegal. So we had right. to set up a legal business to s- before you know. Oh ah, so okay, yeah, I not understand. Having- that functional mushrooms, empty capsule scales, capsule fillers, all the stuff to make your own capsules. Mm. And then I'm going to start hosting a monthly capsule making class with capsule. I have a huge, I mean, 420 is just going to be massive for Kush mm. Queens. So I'm like trying to brace myself now for it, but <laughs> just going to be insane deals and lots nice. of amazing new products and things. So that's coming. And then other than that, um, the other thing I want people to know is that there's a new um, peer support hotline. Mm -hmm. It's called Fireside Chat, um, or Fireside, and you can, it'll be launching in April, and it's a 24-hour peer-to-peer line. You can call anytime. You can talk about psychedelics. You could be tripping, and you could talk to someone. You could be after your experience, and I think that Um, you know, really having people know that there are more and more resources. Also, it's like, if you have a buck, you know, support that organization. Mm -hmm. Um, That's something that I think is really necessary. And, you know, people can just find me on TikTok because I live there. Yeah,
1: I'll be linking everything in the show notes to the episode so people will be able to connect to which I'm sure they're going to want to after hearing from you. Um, But that fireside thing sounds Like exactly what I've been looking for, and I'm sure a lot of people will feel the same way. That sounds amazing.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna. uh, I don't uh, want to post a TikTok about it like too soon because it's not launched and not Mm -hmm. live. It's um, it's called Fireside Project, and the number is like six two Fireside, Mm -hmm. and then it's like set up to really like help people. And I think you know that's That's the other thing is like we got to get this right. You know, we people fucked it up before, and we got to get it right this time because the healing potential is too great and there's no time to waste anymore so um i'm excited about that but thank you again for having me and you i want to just give you a hug yeah i know it really (laughs) but i'll be coming to florida who knows i'm gonna have to move because um the state of california is trying to kill my business Uh. all my money um and my business my lease is up like this is my last year at the spot that I'm in and I'm going to build like a dream facility and of course like one of the places they told me to move is florida um so who knows I'll be I'll be everywhere but maybe one day I'll host my retreat and I can uh yeah bring you out for it cuz I definitely would love to meet.
1: Yes, and I'm going to be staying connected with you so this isn't the last you'll hear from me for sure <laughs> but I really appreciate you taking the time and I'm so glad to have made a new friend you seem to have a lot in common i'm excited for sure
0: thank <laughs> you so much have a great evening you
1: too good night bye. bye all right perfect people i hope you enjoyed listening to this conversation as much as i enjoyed having it if you want to continue the conversation you can find us on instagram at perfect podcast that's p-e-r-f-c-k-e-d podcast And if you're into the show as much as I am and know other people who should be doing this thing with us, Pixar didn't happen. Make sure to screenshot this episode inside your podcast app and share it on Instagram, making sure to tag us. And if you want to take it a step further and make this relationship Facebook official, you can join our private Perfect People Facebook group where we hang out with strangers on the internet. You down? Cool. Hit subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends, and tune in next week for another conversation with a real person talking about real life in real time. Same time next week? Cool. See you then. Later.